I'm Tobin Walsh, and welcome to Tobin Talks 2, the place where every week I get to talk to interesting people about anything they want to talk about. This week's episode, I talked to John Fitz. John and his colleague, Max Fensel, just published a book that's available next Monday for purchase called Time Off, a practical guide to building a rest ethic and finding success without stress. This is an innovative book about more than taking time off to go on a vacation. It's about working smarter not harder, and getting rid of busyness to become more productive. Well, a reflection question is, is all my hard work actually working? And you could, you could say, is all X person's hard work actually working? Because busyness and increase in input does not guarantee quality of output. And I, in, 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 the, in the time off practices, we give ourselves space to incubate and ask ourselves, is there a smarter way? You know, the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Yep. To me, to me, that's like a big part of time off is, is working smarter. Um, and so I had to, I had to, I had to change my mindset to, to rethink the benefits of time off. And now that I see them as benefits, I can, I can make the most of my type A personality where I'm super disciplined and I'm, and I schedule and I time my time off just as intense as I would my task execution. That's interesting. So again, we're talking to John Fitch. He's one of the co-authors of Time Off, a practical guide to building your rest ethic and finding success without stress. So let's dive into the book. I, I have all sorts of notes uh, that I want to get through and uh, about a bunch of different topics. So the idea of rest ethic, John, for somebody who's never heard that before, you know, what's your what's your Wikipedia about it? <laughs> that's a great that's a great like prompt. Um, <laughs> So behind me are a bunch of awesome books that I would say, and there's some over there as well, that have to do with work ethic. It's how do you get shit done? How are you effective? How do you delegate? How do you choose essential tasks, et cetera? Plenty of books out about that. And what I mean is work ethic. So time on, I'm doing things. How do I do them well? Plenty of material. Whereas rest ethic is something I couldn't find a lot of books about. Um, I had my own life transformation where I had to learn the importance of time off the hard way. And I was like, there's not a lot of books that could have prevented me uh, from gaining that knowledge in a much smoother way. But we say in the book, and I think this is probably the best way to think about rest ethic, is right now, if you and I took in a deep breath and inhale, and you and I challenged to see who could go the longest, Maybe at max, one of us is going to hit three minutes. I'll probably stop at 90 seconds. I don't have the best uh, breath holding at the moment. But that's like, to me, work ethic, right? Like inhale, it's in there. And, and after a while, you can only hold it so long. And your rest ethic is an exhale. It's where you uh, recharge, you rebuild th enthusiasm, you increase your joy, you decompress, you detach, you reflect. All those things are a part of a rest ethic. So it's, uh, as, as we see it, it's as essential as a work ethic and it's not discussed enough and it takes design and intention, just like the intention and design we put into our work ethic. Oh man, it's interesting. So the, the, the book starts with a kind of a, a walk through history about what work meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the idea, so I, I wrote down a quote and I thought it was interesting. It said only recently has work, um, you know, has, has work signaled pride rather than shame. Mm -hmm. 
And that was an early quote, which was interesting to me. And then it walks through sort of over time, you know, agricultural innovation, what that meant to work, how work was foraging for the, for, for primitive folks. Take me through why it was important to set the scene of the concept of work now and then. Mm, That's a great question. This was thanks to our, our editor, our editor, her name is Anne. And if you're writing a book, get an editor, they will help you see what you can't see and they help you serve the reader. And I had early on this, uh, this belief that, and I think this is true with any content really that we gravitate ourselves towards. We already know it. It just needs to be framed in a new way for us to remember it. And for me, people already have a rest ethic. They've just lost sight of it uh, and aren't prioritizing it. And and what I wanted to do uh, with my co-author was for us to answer the question, how did we lose sight of the importance of time off? And we knew that we needed to, to zoom out and rewind far back enough to help the reader realize like, oh shit, this is a cultural dogma from a bunch of uh, like elite shitty people that treated humans like machines. Whereas there was an era where leisure was called, uh, Aristotle called it noble leisure, that in these leisurely activities, so the thing that comes to mind for me is cooking a dinner party and hosting friends. Sure, it's active, right? You could, you could call it work, but I consider it play and it's, it's, so, it's beautiful, right? You're meeting with people, you're hosting them, you're breaking bread, you're having big conversations about what's possible. Like that's noble. That's when we sit there and we ask, what's a better world? What might it look like? Hell, let, let's give it a go. Let's make it. Like that's amazing. The best of humanity as, as I see it. Whereas the moment when we got this chapter where human beings were seen as cogs in a wheel, and then the brilliant designers of this <laughs> of this style of work were very smart at attaching it to a religious ideology. And that's when you saw the introduction of the Protestant work ethic. I'm not here to say Christianity or Protestants are bad, but the idea that only through work can you be saved by God. Um, I don't know about you, but I see that as pretty insane. Yet still today in 2020, there's remnants of that dogma that by telling the story and even by writing it, I realized how many of my behaviors were attached to that dogma. And once you make someone aware of a dogma or this thing, they can go, well, I don't want that. And I can detach and I can rethink. And so it was important for us to to help people realize that there are parts of your life that help you rest, help you feel good, help you feel like an awesome human. They bring you meaning you should not feel guilty about them. Like if anything, you should be the most proud of those. Because if we won, if in the history, we became very proud of work because others told us to, well, then all of a sudden you can have autonomy and tell yourself um, parts that most would consider time off are actually very noble and meaningful. And we deserve a revisit because Henry Ford was one of the last cultural icons to rethink the workday. And that was a long time ago. You know, he wrote it, he wrote an essay saying, yeah, we're going to a 40-hour work week for safety increase and, and productivity, uh, productivity and effectiveness in, um, increase. But he was like, I imagine decades from now that we'll see two-hour, three-hour workdays. And he, you know, that was someone who you could say was conservative, was already seeing that we were going to start yeah. heading uh, in that direction. And so we wanted to zoom out far enough 
to help people realize we are way overdue to rethink our relationship to work and leisure. You know, it's interesting. Don't you, do you think that, you know, we're probably, you know, we're ripe for, you know, we're ripe for a change in that regard. I agree with you, but I still think there's, there's a, there's an old school mentality in the workplace today in corporate America. That's still, you know, your late 50s, 60 year old, typically white male that kind of thinks even if you're wasting around on wasting time on Friday that you're that there's value in you being at your seat at 530 mm-hmm. because man mm-hmm. he's grinding away mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it there's nothing that's farther probably from the truth in terms of productivity but that still holds on today I see it yeah. all the time it does it does I mean I, I I look at that problem as you know write out what you think are the top five problems in the world and What's actually the problem is a leadership problem. It's a leadership dilemma. Um, and throughout the book, we have dozens, and you, you, you read some of them, profiles of people who are the opposite, right? They're like, no, if we, prote- if we protect human dignity and help people do their best work by defining how they best work, then you know, we'll see the fruits of their, of their creation, of their creativity. And so the people that, you know, I'm not going to convince everyone with this book, but I think there will be some leaders that realize, um, I mean, we're being forced into that right now, yep. right? P- people are now able to work from home. It's being forced. But I think that moment people are starting to realize whether it's like, oh, wow, our schedules were too packed or, you know, those those shitty hours upon hours that I set in meetings at the office, like they got in the way of like great deep work. So I, 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 I hope people understand that we are now in a creative economy, a knowledge economy. Max and I have both worked, uh, Max, my co-author, and I have both worked extensively in what we would call the field of automation. So you could say that, you know, everything from recommendation engines that you interact with when you're using Netflix to large data analysis to help supply chains or advanced robotics and and, and small robotics. That stuff is here. It's no longer a pipe dream. It is taking over the mundane work and you can shift your mindset to either be terrified by that or you can be excited because if you look at why we're burned out, why we're overwhelmed, why we're overworked is we're trying to compete with machines on mundane tasks and they will kick our ass. Like they will really kick our ass. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing because what they can't do is the parts of humanity that are special, like empathy, creativity, strategy, what you and I are doing right now. Like who knows where this conversation is going to go? Us humans are messy and that's beautiful. We may unlock the, ne- the next greatest idea that changes humanity. But yeah, who knows? If, if you and I try to replicate a robotic arm at being exact, precise time and time again, we're going to fail at it not only fail at it, but we're dangerous because, you know, we're, we're not a machine. So um, for those leaders out there that think that look at human beings, like they look at machines, um, you're wrong. We're not machines. Uh, and, and hopefully they can revisit the, the reality that we're now in a creative economy and more of a knowledge economy and companies have had to rethink their entire business model, right. With what's happening with COVID and so if you're open-minded as a leader, you'll not only be, be rethinking what are we working on, but also be rethinking how do we work. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting because the book starts with sort of the history of work 
and then eventually comes around to AI and who who can play with AI and who can't. And I was going to bring that up before you did, is that everybody sort of that's worked in an office always knows like the the guy, and I'm going to paint a stereotypical sure. picture, that he knows how to hit A, B, and C and one, and that's the approval matrix he needs, and he just does A, B, C, and one. 25 times a day and his gouge of success is can he get to 30 and then can he get to 35 and then can he get to 40 because he can hit a b c and one really fast those guys are going to go away i mean they or or not have you know they're either going to go away or find places at at the at the lowest point of any totem pole right yeah 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 i mean the another way to think about it too uh when i help companies think about this this future of work is I hope that person doesn't go away. You know, he or she is a human. They deserve respect and dignity, but their function is definitely going away. Their function is going to be yeah. ran by a machine that is so good at it. Like it's in, it's in its own category and it should be because um, for things like manufacturing, creating, coordinating, um, it's just, it's superior with the tools we're building. And, and that's beautiful because that then opens up time for us to do the more human work. And I don't know if you if you remember this part in the future of work, but I get inspired by, again, reminding people, this isn't that big of a change. Like we're already in a way practicing a lot of the advice in the book, but extracurricular activities or volunteer activities that people do that are very noble, right? Like planting trees and helping the elderly and teaching the youth and playing on a playground to come up with innovative ideas. And these things that we giggle at, we find joy in, um, that we somehow have to, like historically we've forced into this rare found time called volunteer hours or whatever. Um, That's the future we see of what's left for humanity. And it's beautiful if you can embrace even a fraction of that concept, because anyone that is doing a machine-like task that a machine now or very soon will do better than you like do you really enjoy it is that what you is that what you like deeply enjoy like i've yet to meet someone that um that's what they actually enjoy they enjoy the creative component of their job where they maybe instead of the keystroke that you mentioned they seek out a new keystroke amazing and and in the future where us humans are collaborating with ai that's what ai not that it's sentient by any means but we are the guts of AI. We we designed it. We made the tool, and it's it, you know if you're if you become digitally op- optimistic about where it's heading, AI is our paintbrush, and all of us get to be more of an artist than uh, trying to replicate a machine. And I don't know about you, that sounds way more beautiful of a future of um, of us. What we call volunteer work now, I think, becomes just our work um, yeah. moving forward because that's stuff we don't. We don't know how to replicate through machines, nor do I think we would hand it over. Well, and that's what I find so interesting, not only talking to you, but, you know, reading through the book, you know, from beginning to end, sort of, you have work sort of wrapped around the concepts of rest ethic, which I think is just a, it's just a, it's like watching somebody paint a picture Mm -hmm. that starts with work and ends with work, but isn't about work at all. Mm -hmm. And so let's go through a little bit more detail the various, uh, what I, I, I sort of wrote down, the key features of developing a, a rest ethic, as you mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about creativity. You said that a couple of times. Mm. I, what, what stuck out 
to me about the creativity section as a person that that tries to be creative whenever I can is you it seemed to encourage a broad stroke of creativity rather than saying like I'm a songwriter and I do mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. you you sort of go hey I can find cool words that are rhythmic and, mm-hmm. and you broaden it mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit mm. You know, Max, my co-author, and I have different ways of of thinking about this, but there is dots, there's memorizing those dots, and then there's connecting, interesting connections between the dots. To me, creativity is the art of connecting interesting new connections between dots. That could be in the medium of art, that could be in the form of an idea. I mean, your choices of what you're going to ask me and what you're going to surface from the book was a creative endeavor. Um, How do we save the climate? How do we create more equality in in the world? That's going to need creative ideas. And novel concepts, novel creations that are figments of our imagination that's 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 what i that's what i consider creativity it's thinking in thinking about the future and being able to create it in your mind's eye or in a sketch or through a story you know whatever the interface is you are you are in the art of potential um and if you are in the mundane you're not able to look into the art of potential. You're fixed on the now. And um, what's the the quote? The only constant is change. Creativity is destruction. It's unlearning. It's whatever it is. Like right now, me me talking on this podcast uh, is a form of creative destruction because who I was yesterday, ideally I've upgraded somehow and I've, I've changed my perspective or I've been humbled by something um, you know, for example, I, prior to writing this book, when someone said, oh yeah, it took a year or three years to write this book inside of my head, I used to say like, come on, <laughs> like as a, as a software pos- person, like software is hard, but writing a book, that's not, come on, that's not hard. Whereas now I'm, I'm humbled by the process of writing a book that is decent. Um, it's hard. It takes a long time. And I've had to change my mind about that. And that was a creative process. And so I would say upgrading yourself just like you upgrade your software on your phone is creativity that's that's being creative that's embodying creativity i mean right the art of creation uh just watch nature it's it's constantly creating and in order to create it has to decay it needs time off it needs time on um and so right now for you and the listeners Anything that brings you joy and pushes you to new forms of thinking or leaves you pondering on some new concept or just that feeling of wonder, I would put that all under the umbrella of, of creativity. And a part of the creative process that is essential is, as I, as I had mentioned earlier, is incubation. And time off is the practice of incubation. So... If you want to be creative, you need some kind of incubation. And our book hopefully points to the many, 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 many methods that can lead to incubation. And we're happy to report to you that it's not just vacation. It can be micro practices as well. 
Nice. And then the other one, and this 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 resonated with me because I I'm famous for going on midday runs. Oh, where cool. I typically have my best ideas, but I also frustrate myself because, of course, I don't have anything on me that <laughs> hasn't memorialized the ideas. Sure. So I always come up with my best material on runs during the midday. So the idea of exercise and how that contributes to mm. good uh, rest mm-hmm. ethic. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I also, one of my rest ethic components is exercise as well. I jokingly call it my active form of meditation. You know, my friends that go to meditation retreats and do what you would consider typical meditation of sitting in a totally zinned out pose, like, hey, hats off to them. I think that's cool. But I, when I ask them, like, what is it like when you're successful? And and they tell me this, like, non-attachment. They're just totally inward, feeling everything around them. And they describe that. I'm usually like, oh, yeah, that's like in the middle of my jujitsu flow or, or a jog or jump roping. And, um, you know, we can debate whether that's meditation or not, but, you know, for some people, an active form of time off is, is important because it's, again, it's allowing incubation to happen. Yes. You're on a run, pushing your heart rate, pushing your calves. Um, but what's also happening in your brain there is your subconscious and a bunch of other, again, fancy terms in neuroscience that I'm not qualified to say. Just know that while you're on that run, parts of you are problem solving, are being creative. And so, again, the type A folks out there, I look at time off as a strategy, not a like, oh, I'm checking out because I'm I'm tired. It's like, no, I'm investing in a better idea in the future. Right. Because um, my grandpa used to say I'm fishing for epiphanies when you go out fishing. Um, he was literally fishing for fish, but he was also like, I'm fishing for an epiphany, a moment of clarity. And that's it. Same thing with you running or me running. I can feel less guilty by saying I'm going on a run to detach myself from the project or the work. And I'm running to find some epiphanies to get some perspective. So, um, we all know exercise is good for us. We're mobile creatures. Uh, it's good to sweat. It's got all kinds of benefits. But we were excited to put exercise as an active form of time off to, again, get our point across that that's a meaningful, intentional form of time off that will improve the quality of your work. Yeah, excellent. Let's get to stuff. So a lot of parents are listening here. And I wanted to bring up a couple of the aspects of a good rest ethic that parents probably aren't very good at. Mm. And I'm going to group them up and you can take take them as they come or in one big uh, swing. The idea of rest, idea of sleep, and solitude. So from the perspective of guys chasing kids around um, most of the day and trying to just find moments where, you know, rest, sleep, and solitude mm-hmm. are sort of what we're told to sacrifice when we become parents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So does that mean that I'm screwed and I, my rest ethic is going to really suck or <laughs> is there ways around it? Sure, sure. Well, one of the uh, fantastic topic, honored to talk about it. Um, I am not a human parent yet, but I have two puppies. Um, they're near it's six training. months. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's, uh, two creatures that they depend on me to survive at the moment. So um, I'll draw inspiration from from that to to drive my to drive my points. So first off, uh, one of the deep dives in the book that you're aware of is play. 
So I think if you're if you're a young parent and you're and, you, and you're really having to take care of children, you're probably in that chapter of your life are going to be you have an opportunity to go deep into play, uh, which is a wonderful form of time off increases not only creativity, but truly like high level innovation thinking. And so you can learn a lot from being around children and playing alongside them. So these these other topics that you mentioned that are tough to get. I can speak also as a as a puppy owner. Um, there has been moments. Um, if you are fortunate to have a partner in your process of parenting, just like I have a partner in my process of dog parenting, time off in these subtopics of rest, solitude, sleep. Uh, just like you coordinate who's taking the kids where at what time to help them do X things, you put a lot of discipline, intention, awesome communication into that. Put the same amount of, of quality communication and intent on when you need a break or when you need space or when you just got to get a full night of sleep because you're starting to feel the negative compounding effects. So just like the the rest ethic point in your neg- ongoing negotiations and and uh, teamwork as partners is is what I would say is is what I would mention. You know, there's some crazy ideas like um, a sleep divorce where sometimes you know the parents may may be one parent may be on call um, for the kids, knowing that they might lose some sleep, uh, and they're willing to do that because the other parent maybe has a big deadline or a big decision to make. And so know that um, you can strategically decide when. Uh, you're going to do that. For example, wrapping up time off with those puppies. I was lucky enough to have a partner um, that understood I had some big days coming up of writing and editing to finish it up and puppies yapping in the middle of the night. That was, that was consecutive. I was starting to lose some sleep and we just had a conversation about it of saying, Hey, this is coming up. I'm, I'm going to um, sleep in a more protected space to, to get quality sleep. And then also I'm going to go work alone. And so in that season, in that rhythm, that was important for me. Luckily, luckily I had a, a partner that could understand that. And of course I need, you know, reciprocity matters. So she's just starting her album, a music album, and she's going to have some moments where she needs to protect her, her solitude and her rest. Um, and again, if you don't have a partner, I think the point still is valid of, you know, friends, um, family, that, that can help. But to me, not feeling guilty, not feeling like it's a weakness to say, I need, I need sleep. I need rest. Um, I would say, talk to your kids about that. I don't have kids yet. So I, I don't feel, I don't feel like I, I can speak to that, but all in all, you know, I don't expect a single reader to read all of the deep dives and go, yep, I'm going to do all those. Like I think through one's life, you have different seasons and chapters and you can reconfigure your own menu, if you will, your own recipe for your rest ethic. It isn't fixed. It's going to change based on based on what you have going on. Um, but I think just being more instead of considering it being vulnerable, it's just like, hey, rest is important. Let's talk about it and and uh, grant it to each other when necessary, when when strategic. Um, but um, here's a, here, the last thing I'll say that I feel called to share to parents. Um, And this is just out of observation. 
one of the profiles in the book is on a wonderful woman named Tiffany Shalane, and she created this concept called a tech Shabbat. And don't get me wrong, we have these tools in front I of us. I wanted to get there. I was going okay. there. This <laughs> okay. Is perfect. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry oh, to interrupt awesome. No, we got a good flow, brother. This is great. Yeah, it's good. So the, the tech Shabbat um, comes from their remix of a Jewish tradition called a Shabbat. And the idea is simple. Friday, right before dinner time, you have a ritual with your family or even by yourself. You can work by yourself. I've done it by myself and it's just as powerful. Um, but let's say it's your, it, with your family. All screens, all of them, not just the smartphones, all screens off until Sunday morning. And 24 hours. Right? Yeah, 20, 24 hours. I mean, yeah. I, I like to extend it a little bit to also have yeah, you, that Saturday that's night. You're not a parent. Yeah. That's you're not a parent. Come <laughs> that's on. Fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> um, and so in the book, we actually say, hey, this is a pretty radical, provocative concept. Maybe try it for just an afternoon, a micro tech Shabbat. Um, the point is, attention matters. And um, maybe you're so exhausted because you are not spending quality time with your family. And because you're not spending quality time with the kids, they are super needy. And so it's exhausting and, and you were distracted and trying to multitask too much. Whereas like a, a just complete like culture, a home culture shift. Um, I found when I, when I've done the, the tech Shabbat, I feel like time slows down. And that's just an intuition. That's a feeling. Literally, a minute was still a minute, but my perception of it was was much deeper. And the saturation of life increased, which uh, not only rejuvenated me, but I felt deep in my relationship to those I, I cared about. And so that one, that's one I wanted to share that had profound impacts because it. I say this in a in a as positive connotation as I can. It forces you to be bored. Yeah. And and when you're bored, you 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 create quality moments. Yeah, it's um, it's, a, it's a great point. I really like I said, uh, I know it was tongue in cheek before. I was going to bring this up because yeah. some of the things I get from parents all the time is this, you know, it, you know when te- when kids get a hold of technology, oh my god, things are not only are coming at them so quick but constantly mm-hmm. and for fear of missing an update by a friend on Instagram, you know. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge hurdle for parents. And oh, by the way, we're as screen addicted as our kids anymore. So parents just are throwing their hands up, I think, and going, uh, but you're right. I mean, I think some of the most, you know, I heard, I was on a friend's podcast, uh, a week ago or a couple weeks ago during the quarantine time. And he said, you know, what was cool is the other day, my kids were playing in the ditch next to the house. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, you know, that's how I grew up and that's pretty cool. And I thought the same thing, my, my son's were probably best that for their four day period of time, their schoolwork had subsided and I gave them a chore. And I said, guys, the side yards look terrible for a while. If you do this, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would really appreciate it. And I, and I'll be damned. They didn't complain or get at each other for like, you know, two days on end and they worked mm-hmm. like crazy. And I thought, and, I, and part of me is just watching like, how can I replicate this? And maybe it is a function of, you know, not having all those alternatives all that information inundating them constantly that time truly does slow down. Yes. And the density of life, I believe increases, you know, the density of those moments. Yeah. At when, when I think, you know, yeah, we are, we r- we're roughly in the same a- age group. And I remember as a kid, 
it was amazing our intuition. I'd be like, hey, we're going to um, we're going to meet up on Saturday. I didn't even tell you a time. And you showed up on your bike and then we went off on a a whole adventure and then came back that day. And I, I just remember the intuition of those days felt so long and so deep. And for the parents there, like kids are still able to be in that, I think, much, much more naturally. And and my challenge is just just join them. Like they want that. Like whether that whether they love the iPad or not, like that deep moment of you without screens with just pure focused, undivided attention and play, like that's gonna have butterfly effects that none of us even know. And 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 you again, the the type A folks out there, when I am a parent, I'm gonna take my own advice, which is in those moments where I go play in the ditch with my kids or in the pasture or whatever it is, yes, it's the right thing to do for them. But as hopefully our book has illustrated, that's going to be a moment of incubation for you. Your kid may say something, they may do a gesture, they may, they may say a funny thing like kids do. And that may be your next breakthrough idea that you were trying to hit your head and force it out. Um, And I've always been fascinated by this concept that I believe Carl Jung paraphrased this by saying, we don't have ideas. Ideas have us. We're channels. And if you're always busy and you're always going, your channel is filled with static. And, and when you practice a time off method, whatever it looks like for you, you're, you're opening up the antenna for powerful ideas to come through during those moments of incubation. So play, play more, cultivate less crazy, busy, stressful times with your kids. They'll benefit and so will your creativity. Man, I love it. Again, we're talking to John Fitch. He's the, one of the co-authors of Time Off, a practical guide to building your rest ethic and finding success without stress. So, John, you know, what do you say? A couple more questions and then I'll let you get back to your day. So what do you say to the guy that reads your book, says, wow, I love it, but boy, I've done everything wrong to date. What kind of small changes can people make who Mm. might believe in the concepts of the books, but maybe when their feet hit the ground in the morning, they're not functioning by its um, initiatives. Yeah. One of the chapters, one of the deep dives is reflection, which I think in modern society, a lot of problems can be pointed to lack of reflection because there's a difference, there's a huge difference, there's a huge delta between what, quote, society wants for you and what you actually want. And until you do that reflection, um, there will likely be misery, anxiety, depression, lack of meaning. You define your own success, you define your own meaning, and reflection is probably the greatest time off there is because you're pressing pause on the world to identify your personal truths and the things that matter to you. Um, and so I, and e- even in our book, there's a few pages where we we try to challenge you to reflect on some really profound questions. Um, and, and one of the goals I would say for someone is you hear this concept of FOMO often, right? Fear of missing out, if you've never heard that before. And to me, the goal is to get to a place of JOMO, which is joy of missing out. And if you actually ask yourself the question, what am I most afraid of missing out on in life? That will change the, your framing of FOMO. 
right? Because most people's FOMO are fleeting things, right? It's the Instagram notification, the 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 happy hour they, that's always happening, right? Whereas if you if you really answer that question, what am I most afraid of missing out on in life? Once you have that list, it makes it very easy to be more in JOMO. And, and that's like to me an atomic habit, right? James Clear's work of once you've identified the things you're most afraid of missing out on, it makes it so much easier to gracefully say no to all the bullshit that makes us busy. And so, um, you know, when, when I did that exercise, I, I thought about legacy. I thought about the fact that writing a book or any art or you know, even a podcast, these things that we do, um, they will live longer than me. And that's deeply meaningful to me because I'm, I'm temporary. I know that. And, and so having an impact longer than my own lifespan is really important to me. So I started saying no to the things that were filling up my calendar all the time that that little bit of FOMO kept me subscribing to them. And so I, I, I just think that once you reflect, you'll know what is meaningful time on and, and also what is meaningful time off for you. And it doesn't even need to be an intimidating practice. It can be a five minute exercise. You don't even have to write it down. You can just hit a voice memo and, and try to, to record yourself. But until you do that, that self-reflection, um, I don't think, I don't think one has the ability to easily subscribe to a better form of, of living. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to here to tell you what the best method of time off is, but I guarantee you, if you reflect for a bit, you'll know the parts that you're already practicing or you, you once did, um, you know, just you and me talking about us as kids. Like there's, I can tell by the sound in your voice and the look in your eye that our hearts are connected in that because there's unspeakable recognition of what those days were like. And, and we have a lack of it as adults and um, it's a little sad, but we can change it. And we can have more days like that. Um, and it's 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 worthwhile to reflect on that. Yeah, and I think that that's what I appreciated about the book, John, is that it gave little, you call it, I can't remember what the term is, at the end of the chapters where it would give you little like practice exercises. Yeah, practice. Hey, yeah, and it was like, hey, if this is your thing, try doing this. And a couple of times I was like, ah, not my thing. No, the tech Shabbat, I was like, that's my thing. I'm going to do that. So it's in that way, it's really is a practical guide. It doesn't lay out all these, you know, counterintuitive ideas and says, okay, go practice them, go out, go out to the world. It really lays it out in a way that says, hey, if you think that's interesting, try doing this. You might not think it's interesting anymore, or it might send you in some profound way into a new field. So no, that's why I appreciated about the book. So as we conclude here, I, so I'm not going to let you off the hook. I usually ask my guests two questions. They're always the same two questions. You can go wherever you want with them. I, I can, I'm going to return the favor to you. Okay. One, cool. Once Let's I answer them. Let's do it. So the first one, and they're pretty elementary. You remember I'm a simpleton here. So um, the first one is what's making you happy today? What's making me happy is when you ship something like th- that book behind me. Um, I got it yesterday and feeling it in my hand was like, I still don't have words for it. Um, so what makes me happy is creating it's creativity. 
that was a crazy ass idea that some kind person during some time off told me, you know, I think you should write a book about this. And at the time I was like, like joke laughed, right? But it's amazing what seeds get planted on a frequent basis. And if you, if you, if you're intentional um, and consistent and calm, you'll be amazed at, at what those seeds can grow. And so I'm, what's bringing me happiness is reminding myself, which also we all deserve to remind ourselves that you can create anything you really can. And um, you just have to assess what matters to you and, 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 and focus and, and stay calm. Um, but you know, with all the crazy stuff happening in the world, just getting the book, telling some people about it and the amount of human beings that have come back and said wonderful things. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you, that you read the book. Like literally I I expect no one to read it just to lower my expectations. And I don't know you, like we literally just met 40 minutes ago. Um, and it's to know that you had an impact on someone else is the greatest gift. So that it's, it's an unspoken happiness that money cannot buy. Yeah, I could imagine that feeling. That's got to be unbelievable. And then last question, John, is what would you change? God, I love this question. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever answers this question quickly. I love it. Mm -hmm. If, if, if I, if I could change and, and this is what motivated me to, to write the book in times where I was really doubting myself was my 22, 23 year old self, uh, to, I wrote the book, the book for, um, my, my girlfriend at the time, friends, family, when I was so work obsessed, there were so many moments people were trying to connect with me and I just was not there. And, uh, that's a shitty feeling. If you're on the receiving end of it, I've, you know, since that moment been on the receiving side and to know that I created that, um, I'm glad, I'm glad I I made a change because when I read Bronnie Ware's book, the five regrets of the dying, uh, highly recommend that book, maybe buy it even before time off. Um, it's short, it's powerful. She spent years and years with, uh, many, 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 many people on their deathbed. And one of the five regrets of the dying is I wish I would have not worked so hard. And there was a chapter where that's all I did. And, um, I dropped the ball on a lot of relationships that I, I, I can, I can still recover, but if I could go back and change it, I would have, I would have let the inbox fill up with a few more emails and really been there for a friend when they needed it. I can appreciate that. I, I tell you what, that's my favorite question of the session. That's why I end on it because it can go everywhere. I've heard people joke with me. I've heard people give really good answers. I, you know, I feel like, you know, that's the ultimate form of reflexes is to kind of chew on a question for a minute and really kind of search deep to say, okay, you know, how honest do I want to be? You know, the guys that joke with me, I always kind of laugh and I'm like, oh, you don't want to go there. That's cool. That's and a beautiful question. That, yeah. So I appreciate the answer, man. I, that's why I do this podcast because I get to talk to so many interesting people and I'm, I'm just constantly surprised. I love that. I love the feeling of not knowing where the hell the question goes. So I appreciate it's, it. Yeah. It's wonderful. All right. I'm going to ask the one I asked hey, on my hey, podcast. Don't, don't steal it though. I, I'm, I'm writing I'm not. it down. Okay. That's, that, that, that's yours. That, so that's I should have, I should have listened to your podcast more cause I'm unprepared. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Ask your question. All right. So, uh, these, these amazing things, these, you know, smartphones that we've been talking about, if, um, 
somehow I wrote uh, and got access to the global API of of all smartphones, and I granted you the ability to send a push notification to every single smartphone on the planet. What message would be in that pop up notification? Hmm. Holy cow! I'm the one asking the questions. <laughs> Your answer can be an emoji, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm too old for that. Um, so it's, it's my message to the world. Yeah, I mean, I assume there's billions of people with smartphones. So like all at once, everyone would get this random push notification. God, the, the egotistical part of me wants to do a shallow message about a podcast. So I get a bunch <laughs> of views. Um, the creator in me wants to say... Are you okay? I see. That's that's so wonderful. That that's so beautiful and a reminder of humanity's gift. Um, a machine like I have a HomePod right over there. You might have an Alexis or something in your household. It can ask the question, "Are you okay?" But when a human asks you that, there's there's nothing like it. It's it's one of the most profound experiences that that human connection that that empathy um and just having another human ask that question and then if someone answers it and you listen yeah that's powerful you got you got you got two powerful questions what would you change and are you okay i I said what i said what i would change and am i okay um all things considered i feel like i won the I won the lottery. If you look at a, a global pandemic and I'm talking about my book that came out that you can buy on Amazon. It's like, psh, I hit yeah. the jackpot, you know? Yeah. Snapshot this one, put it on your background and never forget it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it again. John Fitch. He's one of the co-authors of time off a practical guide to building your, building your rest ethic and finding success without stress available on monday the 25th of may go buy it i encourage you even if you're a type a guy like he says you're gonna love the lessons it's wrapped around doing work better so it's called time off but it's about doing work better more (laughs) efficiently right yeah yeah all right john hey so so nice to visit with you i really appreciate it i hope it's not the last time i hope it's not and next time let's talk about your tech shabbat once you once you do one i'd love to to jam on that oh man Thank you for joining Tobin Talks 2. This is Tobin Walsh saying see you next time.